directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. radiocom Thought for the day, the seed of heresy rests in the minds of reasonable men. Mystics and welcome to the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium using the gaming systems created by Fantasy Flight Games. Each show we uh, talk about on different systems and tonight we'll be back onto Dark Heritage 2nd Edition. Yep. But as we always do, before we start talking about our show for the night, let's just talk about our various gaming activities in the past fortnight. Now, yep. I will point out, by the way, by the time this episode goes to air... Voting will have finished for the Any Awards, so I want to personally thank everybody who voted for our uh, for our podcast for the yes, Any Awards. Yes. It's much appreciated. Uh, yes, it's really great to be up there among such great podcasts as well. So we're looking forward to seeing how that all turns out. But uh, as far as last fortnight in gaming goes, not a whole lot. Uh, we did our midweek Star Wars game, but because of some last minute confusion created by one of our players who regularly creates last minute confusion. You were unable to make it, Mike. I was unable to make it. How, how did it go? Uh, we, we did what... Because the group is sort of in a, in a very... In a position right now where it's hard to bring new, new characters in. And there was a new character to be brought in. So we sort of did this flashback scene pre-current events in the game where the players actually... Or the characters met that new character for the first time. So that when they show up again in the current circumstances in the game, it'll be like, oh, you know, I remember you. You're, we met back in... Whatever is such, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay, so it was a flashback game. It was a flashback game, that's right, yeah. So so not, not too bad, all told, really. N- nothing terrible happened to break the timeline, like someone losing a limb? No, no, no. And, okay, and, that, that's good. And, and, and once again, it was a game that we had no one who was really combat specialised, except for the fact that people with high agility tend to be already combat specialised, you know, because even yep. without the yellow dice, you've still got a massive advantage if you've got four agility. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but, you know, still, it's, it turned out okay. Nobody died. Uh, no characters died either, so all good. Okay. With that being said, one player's car did catch fire on the way to the game. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he survived, and the car was repairable, so that's all oh, good. Oh, that's all good. Yep, that's it. Uh, and I also ran my Scion game uh, on this, this past weekend, which also went pretty well. Um, my wife ended up in hospital this weekend, so... I had to sort of cut the game a little bit short, but we still had a good time. So, yeah, just uh, see what we can I'll probably. I think we'll get one more game coming up before I travel for Gen Con. So, yeah, yeah. that's it. We won't get another Black Crusade game, in, unfortunately. It's yeah. Friday. Ah, but we will get another Roll20 game in. We've got that yes. sort of. We've got that pencil in for this out. Friday. That's yes. right, yeah. So, hopefully, by the time this goes to air, we should be pretty close to having that edited up on, the, on, on YouTube as well. Yeah. A lot of people asking us to do more of that. Yes. Uh, okay, so let's talk about tonight's episode. As I mentioned, it is Dark Harry's second edition. We'll do our regular news section. We're going to talk about the psychic system in second edition. It, it's a whole psychic episode. We're doing the mystic role. Uh, we've got our plot hooks and war gear section, which I managed to get some psychic, psychic stuff, stuff into. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm reviewing Seeds of Heresy, which is the module that appeared in the beta version of Dark Heritage Second Edition. Yeah, we I believe have... they've released that separately as well. That's now, right, yeah. It's yeah. now on the website separately. We, and, um, yeah, I think we've spoken about it before, but I'll give it a bit of a review too, as a, as a yep. module too. Uh, mainly because it's the only other Second Edition thing we've still got to review right now. I was planning to do Forgotten 
um, not Forgotten Gods, uh, we've done already, uh, Forbidden Sons, the new board game, but just with everything happening with my wife in the past couple of weeks, it's been hard to get the time to unbox it really and, and certainly not have a game, but even to read it was just been not, not viable at the moment. Oh, okay. Uh, we're going to talk about psychers and their role in the Inquisition, particularly we're going to talk about, uh, I guess, how unsanctioned psychers fit in to your game as well. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll do our regular community section and, and close out the show. Okay. So let's jump straight into it. Command acknowledged. Accessing Imperial Archives. Okay, news-wise, out of FFG, nothing on the role-playing front. Yeah. So I've decided, for once, we're actually going to try and invent some news. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean... Okay, what, what are we inventing? <laughs> well, okay, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a few facts at you and we'll see what you can make of it as such, you know. Okay. Um, there's always the hope that there's something new... Announced at at Gen Con. At, at Gen, Con. Gen Con's only a, a short way away. A lot of people said, said, "Oh, they're going to do something with Rogue Trader." You know, they redid Dark Heresy. Are they going to do Rogue Trader the same way? And I, I think that every time it's come up, it's sort of been like, "There's no plans to do any more redos." Yeah, Dark Heresy was just a particularly odd game that was the way it was when we picked it up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, as you know, so um, Tim Huckleberry, who we've spoken to on the show before, as far as we know, and, and this is not something that we've been told away. As far as we know, he only works on the 40k line you know yes. so you look and at he's things, still drawing a paycheck he's still drawing a paycheck that's right yes so yeah. either they're paying him to sit around <laughs> doing nothing in which case sorry if we've brought this up Tim no 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 <laughs> there, there, could, there could certainly still be other, other books on the horizon as well like anyway, yep. everyone's expecting enemies without and enemies beyond oh, yeah. etc um, yeah but, but anyway so they, there's still enough to have a dedicated RPG line producer yep because he's not working on the um, end of the world series he's not working on the Star Wars series so, that, that's, so that, that's, that's fact number one. Second thing is Andy Fisher, who we've had on the show before. Yes. Uh, recently on his Twitter, mentioned that he was no longer working on the RPG, on the Star Wars RPG, that he's now working on a secret project. Yes. Andy, of course, was also the lead producer on Only War. So he has some, some 40k pedigree. No knowledge here, just speculating on what, you know, what Andy might be up to. Uh, yeah, I just think that, you know, they're, and they're churning out so much more with the 40k. They're churning out... Um, the uh, you know the conquest, uh, the, uh, the con- con- you know, conquest forbidden sons, uh, you know, relic, relic. You know, they've got they're doing a lot with this license. It's not like they're just letting the license sit till it expires. So, my thoughts, and this is just my prediction, is that we may see you know some announcement at Gen Con about maybe something to do with uh, with Rogue Trader or something along those lines, or maybe a fantasy product again. Because remember, they did have. Oh, the, the Warhammer that, Fantasy. They uh, did own the Warhammer Fantasy and, line, and with Age of Sigmar come out now. Yeah, it seems like an opportunity to really do some more storytelling. You know, yeah. But, I mean, you've got a completely new world to create. Um, yeah. The only problem is, I could foresee with that is there's not really a lot written about it at the moment. What the Age of Sigmar is, it's very nebulous and okay, unformed yeah. at the moment. Okay, well, let's not get too much on the, on the Age of Sigmar yet. Because I want to talk about that shortly oh, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah definitely. But, oh, there's uh, a lot to talk about with that. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just just speculating. I really hope you know that we'll see something at Gen Con. Oh, I, I'm I've, pretty sure we will. Yeah, I, I've even put up on our, on our Facebook page like, you know, are you going to Gen Con? Because one, we'd love to catch up. Well, I'd love to catch up since you are um, stranded in Australia. And two, uh, what are you hoping to see? What, what are you hoping will be announced at, at, at Gen Con, for example? You know, so. Yeah, just idle speculation there. You know, we hope something will come up. I mean, you know, maybe it's involving, you know, the two Tims. Maybe it's involving Andy. Maybe it's involving some of the other guys who work on these lines, you know, that have done fantastic work so far. So let's just, you know, in, look, by, by the time the next show comes up, we should know, you know, yes. because that will be during Gen Con. Yeah, so let's, let's just wait and see. But yeah. yeah. 
Um, that being said, there has been some 40k line stuff out of FFG. So we've seen uh, the Deadly Salvage War Pack has been announced for uh, Conquest, which is the third in the uh, Planetfall cycle as well. They've also had a uh, another preview of the Tyranid expansion pack, um, uh, which they, they call the they call the preview horrific legions. Uh, it speaks about some of the uh, the units in the game. So, for example, the the Warlord for the Tyranids has a power where whenever he is deployed to a planet, he automatically places uh, Gaunt tokens on the planets either side of it as well. So, effectively, putting a figure in one place can actually have impact on multiple multiple, multiple war fronts as yeah. such. Yeah, yep. and, and it seems to be that they just build they, they just build up swarms of Gaunts. Yes. And they, just, they just keep stacking up on planets until that, they become that, an, un, an unbeatable force. That, that sounds about right for a tyranny <laughs> battle, yeah. That's it, yeah. I mean, there are even figures that... They, or not when I say figures, there are, there are units which have no default attack value, but use the number of gaunts, you know, as, as a numeric value for determining their, their combat effectiveness as well. So, yeah, yeah it seems to be that that's why they've, sort of, they've worked it as well. Zerg attack. Exactly right. Uh, okay, so that's it out of the, the FFG side. Games Workshop, I've noticed there's some new Imperial figures up on the... So they've just released the Dark Angels Codex. Yep. They've now got some more Imperial Guard figures up, so maybe we're going to see a redo of Astra Militarum. Um, it's interesting because that was really quite recent already. Yeah. Um, but they have released a couple of Codexes really rapidly. That's um, right. It seems to me there's a little bit of a break at the moment while they get their Age of Sigmar stuff out. Yeah. But I would expect you will probably see Imperial Guard or possibly one of the older codexes, which we haven't seen in a long time, getting re-released. Okay. Which would be good. Yeah. Definitely. Codex squats? I don't think so. <laughs> really don't think so. That's it. Uh, okay, well, you did mention the Age of Sigmar. So let's just talk about this now. So Age of Sigmar is... The replacement uh, for Fantasy Battle. That's right, yeah. And it's not related to 40k, but it's it's a big part of Games Workshop, so I figure we should probably talk about it here. Yeah. So, what have they done? They've basically gone and... They had the end of the end of the world scenario to sort of end off the existing 40, uh, 40k Fantasy line. Yep. And they've created something new at, at, with Age of Sigma. Yep. Uh, Mike, what have you... I mean, it hasn't been released yet, but the rules are available for download from the website already. And... So many people have broken their confidentiality things and, and spilled pictures of the models, pictures of the rule books. There's so much rumour floating out about there, which is pretty much confirmed. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff by the looks of it. Some of it good, some of it maybe not good. Um, I noticed one of the main things I've noticed is the fact that Slanesh seems to be dead and gone. Yeah, in this line, which... a lot of talk they're trying to be open to more players. And at the end of the day, Slanesh had too many things about it that were too difficult for young players to yeah, to, I mean, to grapple with or be involved with as such. I, I mean, if you're the parent of a twelve-year-old kid and you wander in there and they say, "Oh, tell me about this Slanesh thing," I can't see anything a Games Workshop employee could say which would set the parent's mind. That's right. Things. Yeah, look at look at these demonet figures I bought with their one exposed breast. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it just. Not good. That's it. Um, it's been, you know, and there's loads of stuff. There's mention in the in the history about you know Slanesh being captured, and on their picture with the the four icons of chaos, Slanesh's icons being replaced by something one, else. Something else yeah. But I don't know what at the moment, and I think that's really the only thing which impacts potentially on 40k. We'll have to wait and see. That's it. I mean, some people have hypothesised that potentially Age of Sigmar is 
in the far future of 40k. It's sort of like a you know, another dark age technology, almost you might say, but uh, right. not that. But I like, you know, don't think so. Yeah, but you know, that was just one of the ideas was put forward. I mean, let's face it: the new the new Imperial figures have a very space marine like look about them. Oh, definitely, but I think that's a move more towards what players want. Yeah, I mean, yes, there were plenty of players who liked fantasy, but at the end of the day, they they did what they did because fantasy sales were so low. Yeah, they were so low compared to where they'd been before. They had to reinvigorate somehow, and this is how they've done it. Yes, it's polarising. There's loads of people saying, oh, with these crazy rules, I've never considered playing fantasy before, now I do. And there are other people who have put up YouTube videos of them pouring petrol over their army and setting fire to it. Okay. So, you know... Maybe an overreaction, just may, saying, uh, Maybe a little yeah. bit of an overreaction by some people, but... Mm. I mean, I've got to say, some of the rules I've read have been pretty zany. And it's like, I'm sure it will be fun in a tournament context. You know, so, I mean, the things like, for example... Um, Okay, if you're playing High Elves, uh, if during your turn you can act in a haughty manner and not smile or laugh no matter what, your, what the antis of your opponent are, you can re-roll ones on your to hit yeah. checks and such. You know? Yeah, I mean, I mean there's, a, there's other ones which are even crazy like that. Like there's someone, the unyielding, who if at any stage in the game you accidentally kneel down, you automatically lose. Yeah, there are, there are literally some... I've heard that there are some game-ending... Issues in the game, like literally, you know, some people put together combinations like winning one turn sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, you're not really playing to just win in one turn. No. So, you know, it, I mean, there's no points value. Yeah. That, that's probably one of the, the weirdest things in my mind. You put together a force to play a certain scenario. I don't understand how that's going to work with when you turn up to play a game do you decide beforehand what scenario you're going to play or do you bring everything you own and then pick and choose which a bit unrealistic if you've got a large army so we'll have to see how it actually goes once it's released fully and people can actually read everything instead of just choice snippets that's it yeah I mean look if they're very successful we may see some similar changes in 40k you never know I mean they've gone to round bases now from square bases so yep. they are a little bit more 40k than they were before yep you know, so more spread out units now as such and yeah. so cool. they can have figures that extend beyond the edges of the base which was sort of a problem before when you had to link all the, the bases together to form strict units as such yeah and the models excellent some of the models look absolutely beautiful yeah um, can't really complain about the sculpt there that's it all right, let's just talk about Eternal Crusade then. So they have now announced that um, that Fanta's access will begin in the North American summer, uh, and they will include support for next gen consoles. That's pretty much Xbox One, PS Four, isn't at, it? At launch, isn't it North American summer now? Uh, maybe that means summer next year. Then I'd say. Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm I, 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 I don't know because you know we, we've. It's, I don't quite get the seasons in North America because, you know, here it's based upon just, you know, this three month, three month, three month, three month, you know. Yeah. Whereas it's a particular days in the middle of a month, I think is where it changes over sometimes for North America. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm probably insulting a, like a whole, whole bunch of our listener audience here, but I, I don't get it. You know, so. <laughs> but they are saying it. Yeah, and they've started to release a series of videos now, which are, um, I guess, precursors to release as well. So they're, 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 they're starting to ramp up for it. They didn't do a Twitch stream last Friday. Yep. Um, they will be doing one on the 17th, which is when the show roughly should go up. Yep. So, uh, yeah, uh, not a lot of new information there. They have extended their competition a bit further. They've got a competition currently still doing the voting as of right now for the 5th Space Marine faction. I think that'll be done this week. Yeah, so. uh, that one was a bit tr- a bit tricky. We talked about that before, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. 
Iron Hand's the way to go, but you know, it's something never... like you know, Imperial Fistal Raven Guard. Come on, there's other good options. So I, don't know, I still don't <laughs> get the whole bright yellow armor rushing across the battlefield thing. You're just begging to get your head shot off. Yeah. Anyway. All right, that's it for the news. Yes. So let's move on, shall we? Knowledge is power. Hide it well. So I wonder our system discussion. And since we're covering everything psychic this episode, I thought we'd talk about the second edition psychic system from Dark Heresy because it has yep. changed. Again? Bit, yeah, it's changed again. It, it bears what probably, a shock. It bears probably the most similarity to what was in Only War and uh, Black Crusade, but yep. with probably one key difference. Yes. Yep. So uh, let's start with the basics. Okay, so Psy rating is the basis for Psychics in Second Edition Dark Heresy. It is, as we've all of them. As well, that's right, yep. It, it has... Did did first edition never really define a cap as to how high Psy rating could go? Six. It did say six. There was a cap. Okay, there, so, there was a cap. Yeah, I mean, this time it's 10. It's between yeah. 1 and 10. I think being rated between 1 and 10 works for much better for a system which is based entirely on percentiles yes. than a system of 1 to 6. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> which never really seemed to fit, but yep. there you go. That's it. Uh, I mean, it's funny because reading the fluff around 40k, I never get the impression that psychers develop in their ability over time. No. Most of the most of the sort of defined psychers, so you talk about people like Eisenhorn, for example, seem to have one or two things they can do, and they can do them just as well, at, you know, at the, at the beginning of their career as they do later on towards the end, as such. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends. I mean, some of the stuff I've read suggests that they know how to do certain things from the beginning, but they get better at doing those things. But they don't really learn new powers. New powers. Yeah. Um, they still don't have a repertoire of powers. Usually, it's usually one or two yeah. key things as uh, such. That said, I mean it depends on the psycho. I mean, some psychers have vast repertoires of powers. I mean, but a lot of that comes down to being sorcerers or somehow manipulating chaos or the warp. Yeah. Um, but for actual psychers who are just pure psychers, they're not witches or sorcerers or anything shady. Um, Plain, simple, sanctioned psychers. They have a couple of powers that they can do very well or very poorly, and that's it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No so, yeah, it is a little bit odd. Okay. Now, psy rating is not... Like, in other systems, it's been defined as a talent. Yes. Here, it is a separate thing altogether. Yes. You know, some might call it a trade or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's not bought like a talent. It doesn't have aptitudes. You know, it just has a fixed cost. Then the cost is basically 200 XP times the rating you're going to. So to go from 1 to 2, it's going to cost you 400 XP. Yep. 2 to 3 is going to cost you 600, etc. Yes. 9 to 10 is going to cost you 2,000. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's no... Psychers versus non-psychers don't get any benefit as such. You know, at the end of the day, there's no way to make that cheaper. It's just a fixed cost. Uh, likewise, psychic powers... Are no longer purchased as maybe you used to have like the the psychic powers in Dark Heresy First Edition as a as a talent. As a talent, yeah. Once again, now it's just a you buy them separately. They have a fixed cost. Uh, they have to be bought in order, so they have like a tree as such. It starts at the top for each discipline and works its way down. So you have to basically draw a collecting line from the power you want to buy to a power you already have. Yep. Uh, and they also have characteristic minimums now as well. So quite different as far as how you actually acquire powers to other systems as well. Yes. Yeah. Now, although they're broken into, broken into disciplines, there is nothing that actually says you can't just pick and choose powers from across multiple, multiple disciplines. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah, except the fact that they have 
different disciplines have different characteristics that really connect to them as such. So you yeah. would need to have a very well-rounded character to have... Ability, yeah, that's it. And a lot of XP. A lot of XP. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. You can either spend your XP to be kind of poor at everything, yeah. or you can spend your XP and focus it and be good at one thing. And I think you're probably better... Unless you're playing in a group which has abs- only one psyker and is regularly going up against lots of varied types of psychic problems which have to be solved, I think you're better off focusing on just one. That's it. Alright, so as before, there are three psychic classes as such, or three three categories of psychers. Mm-hmm. First is bound. So yep. this covers astropaths, imperial guard psychers. Sanctioned psychers. Sanct- it, it, it is sanctioned, basically, you know. Yeah. You've got Unbound, which pretty much covers your unsanctioned psychers, witches, sorcerers, sorcerers etc. Yep. And then you've got Demonic, which is basically creatures capable of wielding the warp on the, you know, by, their, by their, their natural nature as such. Yeah. Uh, and they, they each have different rules that we'll come to in a moment as to how they're handled. All right, so when you actually want to use psychic powers in the game, it's basically a three-step process. So the first part, and this is where it starts to vary a bit from previous systems, is determining the psychic strength. So your psi rating is really your psychic strength, or you can almost call it your potential peak psychic psychic power as such, you know, because it, it not only does it control uh, how much power you can use, but it often limits what a power can do. Yeah. You know, a lot of times the range will be, you know, a factor of meters times your psi rating. Damage will be a number of dice times your psi rating, etc. So the higher your rating is, the greater chance you have of actually doing having a more effective power. Yeah. In earlier systems, your psi rating was used as a an additive to or added to your dice roll. Not in the system, basically. Using a power at your psi rating or at, at a level equal to your psi rating is a no modifier. Yeah. Plus zero, effectively. Uh, you can choose to reduce your psi rating below the normal value. And for each step that you reduce it below its normal value, you gain plus 10 the activation roll to a minimum, minimum of one you have to have at least one side range to actually roll the power yeah likewise you can also push to try and get further it'll get more power so uh, bound psychers can push up to an additional plus two uh, unbound psychers can push up to plus four demonic psychers can push up to plus three and for each step you go above your natural power limit you take a minus ten on your manifestation roll but obviously you increase the power's effectiveness yes so this is quite different from previous systems because in previous systems, the more power you used, the more likely is the power would go off. Yeah, I mean, and, it, yeah. Usually it was for Black Crusade only war towards the end there, it was plus five to your roll per point of sight rating. That's it. And if you so push if, more, you've actually got plus five per X rating you had. Yes. And, and that's all. That's completely flipped on its head now. The more power you use, the less likely the, the actual the, the manifestation will occur. Or the, yeah, the, the more likely it is to go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, using powers at a very high level of siren would be, would be reserved normally for characters with a very high willpower, whatever it is that it's actually derived from. All right. So, uh, that's basically how you determine the power. You say, okay, I want to have either my siren or less, or I want to push for more. Next comes part is step two is uh, making the actual focus power test. So, you will roll here the relevant characteristic or skill. Most of the time, it's going to be willpower, but some psychic powers do roll on other skills or, or characteristics, yeah. etc. That's right, uh, and you will get a 
bonus or penalty based upon your final psi rating for the manifestation and a bonus or penalty based upon the power itself. So some powers are just naturally harder to pull off than other powers are. Some get a bonus, some get a penalty. Yeah. Uh, if you succeed, the power manifests. Fantastic. If you fail, it doesn't. That's it. Yeah. Uh, degrees of success and sometimes degrees of failure may matter. So you may need to know that because it may have varied results based upon what you know, how many of each of those you get. Uh, now, for normal strength powers, you know that that is that you are not pushing as such. Uh, on the roll of a double on the dice, you will generate a psychic phenomena. Right now, unbound psychers add plus ten as to demonic psychers. Although with all these things, it's important to note that demonic psychers are never personally affected by psychic phenomena unless they roll perils of the war. Yeah. Uh, although that doesn't stop, it's, it still goes off, and people around them are still affected by it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I- and I think it's important to remember that some people are going to go, well, why should perils of the wall perfect a demon? Why, how can a demon get possessed or whatever? There are other demons of other varying gods who do not like them around as well. Yeah. So a Zinch Psyker, Lord of Change, casting a power, absolutely balls it up, gets rolls on perils of the wall, gets you know demonically attacked. It could be a great unclean one, it could be anything... Grabbing them, dragging them off back into the wall. Who would who would think that chaos could be so fickle? I know. That's the punishment. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, some of the, sometimes the gods themselves will punish their own servants, you know, for any yeah. reason, including no reason. Yes. So it's it's just what happens. Yeah. Um, all right. So if you push, so for, for a normal um, bound character uh, pushing, you will generate a psychic phenomena unless you roll a double. Yeah. So, you know, m- much more likely it's going to actually occur. Uh, for other pushes, so if, if an unbound psychic pushes or a demonic psychic pushes, psychic phenomena is automatic. Yes. And um, unbound psychers add plus five to that roll per psi rating, so a maximum of plus 20. Demonic psychers add plus 10 per psi rating added to a maximum of plus 30. Yeah. So they can get rolled some pretty high results. And of course, if you roll very high on that table, you will go to Perils of the Warp, which is all, all colors are bad, basically. Um, yeah, do you want to say something? You're looking well, at me. Um, with the pushing as an unbound, you said plus five per rating to yeah. a maximum of... P- p- plus five you, you add. Ah, yeah. to a maximum of plus 20. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, I mean, you can only add plus four anyway, so it, yeah. it, it's, it's kind of it's kind of moot putting the maximum plus 20, maximum yeah. plus 20 in the book, because that's the most you can add anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I was just thinking. Yeah. yeah. I suppose it would depend if you had a character that had, for example, something like, uh, what's the talent is, um, uh, Warp Conduit, where they can actually add... When they push, they actually add a D5. Oh, so it, okay. it will be possible that if you rolled a D5, you got five, you add five, you still with a maximum of plus 20. Yeah, you, you could add a, a plus nine, but we'll get to that in a bit. That's it. Uh, okay, so uh, you always resolve the psychic phenomena before you resolve the effects of the power because there's a chance that the psychic phenomena may, may invalidate the result. May alter the result, may alter the target. Yeah, there, there are some. I think there's one of the perils of the warp is the power affects you instead of your intended target. Exactly right. Obviously, if you've rolled up damage against your intended target, you've then got to mess around with that. That's it. Here's the important one psychic phenomena and perils of the warp, by distinction, uh, can occur even when you fail to manifest the power. So if you've failed your uh, focus power test, and, and still roll a double, or you pushed and didn't roll a double, or you pushed and were unbound, for example, then you will still test to see what the effect is. I suppose we need to say what happens if the power fails, and then you roll an effect which says the power affects you instead of the 
the opponent? You know, would you would the GM then say, okay, well, because of that role, the power has worked, but not the way you want it to? Or they say, well, because the power didn't work, luckily you escaped this particular thing. I guess it depends on how much of a dick the GM wants to be, really. What yeah, you... I'd say so, yeah. It depends what they want to do. That's it. Well, I guess what's, what's thematically appropriate, you might say. Yeah. Now, sometimes psychic powers will be opposed. I.e. you're trying to control someone, for example. Uh, and in that case, the psyker must generate more successes on their focus power test than the opponent does to resist. Yeah. You know, if as long as they generate at least one, one success above that, then the psychic power goes off. Yeah. If they generate successes but it doesn't beat that, then the power does not affect the person. Yeah. Uh, now, if it's, it's important okay. to note that the power did work, like yes. they successfully manipulated the warp, but the person's will was too strong to to affect. That's right. Yeah. Uh, now, if you target a psyker with a psychic with an opposed psychic power, the psyker can actually add twice their psi rating to the attempt to resist it. They can even push on that as well. They can push to add their, increase their psi rating. But if they choose to do that, they are effectively using the warp to protect themselves, and they then have to also roll. So, you know, psychic phenomena. If they roll a double, yeah. or if they push the exam, etc., etc., you know, then there is a chance they will still trigger their own psychic phenomena. You know, both sides could literally trigger one each. I, I mean, if you're a low level psycho, I, I, I'm not sure you're going to see much advantage in adding two percent to your resistance roll. Yeah. Um. So you may want to forget about doing that for the, the risks of. Causing a psychic phenomenon that affects you when you try to <laughs> resist, it. probably not worth that bonus two percent. That's it. Just to go back a step as well. Uh, so you look at, for example, a bound psyker who has a max. They can add a maximum of a plus two. All right. Yep. They if they push, they generate psychic phenomenon unless they roll a, uh, a double. But there's no bonus to that roll dependent upon how much they push over. Yeah, by. So, so if you're going to push, you you're going to be able to go to plus two. There's no point in not, well, there's no point in pushing to plus one except for the minus, additional minus ten on the roll to manifest. The roll to race. manifest. But if you've got a good willpower, why bother? That's it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So step three is resolving the power results. So pretty much here, you go to the power itself and see this is what the power does. Yeah. Simple. But there's a few considerations I want to point out first off. First off is that a lot of powers are um, line of sight. And when they say line of sight, their maximum range is the range defined by the power. There are no adjustments for range bands. There's no short range, medium range, and such. And if they yeah. are in line of sight and within range, the power can be used on them. Yes. Uh, no effects are cumulative. Any two powers that would produce the same result or the same bonus or the same thing will simply produce the highest version of the two. Yeah. You can't you can't add them together as such. So if you've got something that gives them a bonus to their gives them a natural agility, for example, and you use another one that does it again, it's not going to give them any more, it's just going to take the highest. Yep. Uh, any psychic power can be detected through the use of a Sinusians check. And what's important is that if you make that check, not only do you recognize the power is there, you also recognize the source. So it's very particular for psychics who are trying to use powers covertly, i.e. to influence the minds of somebody when they're in some sort of negotiation. You know, if there's a, someone there who has Sinusians and, and can roll it, then they may pick up not only the presence of the psychic power, but the origin of it as well. Yes. That's it. Uh, some powers can be sustained. And the way sustained powers work in this system is that every sustained power has a required action, i.e. a half action, you know, move action, etc. And you basically have to spend that action in your turn to keep the, psych- the psychic power going. Yeah. If you've got multiple powers being sustained, you need to be able to have enough actions to spend... You know, So if you had two half-action psychic powers you're sustaining... That's all you're doing because you use up both your half actions. But you can still use your reaction. Your reaction. Unless you add a power which was using up your reaction. Exactly right. Yeah. Or a free action. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, it's interesting that 
The power ends at the end of the turn you fail to spend the action. Yeah. So it still affects you during... So for, say, for example, I've got a power which is giving me a bonus to hit. Okay. It comes to my turn. I say I'm not spending the action to sustain that. I still get the bonus to hit that particular turn. Yeah. It only expires at the end of the turn that I failed to spend I, the action. I, I think that's okay. I think think that's worthwhile for some of these abilities if they're affecting stuff. Because let's be honest... Most psychers are not going to be combat wombats. They could be. It, al- it also runs with the fact that manifesting the power in the first place is an action. Yes. So I want to give myself a bonus to hit. I use my psychic power in the previous turn to give myself the benefit the next turn. I can then choose to sustain it by spending action in the next turn to keep it going turn to turn, for example. Yeah. Uh, now, also, sustaining powers decreases your effective psi rating by one when it comes to manifesting future powers. And... Each, each power main, uh, sustained adds plus 10 to any psychic phenomena rolls that you do while doing other powers. Yeah. yeah it doesn't increase the... Uh, it, it's still only on doubles or etc. The, the trigger for the roll is the same, but you add an additional plus 10 to the roll. Yeah. Okay, a couple of other things. Some powers are defined as psychic bolts, in yep. which case they are no different from shooting somebody. The person can dodge, you know, take whatever reactions would apply to, for example, a ranged attack, for example. Uh, a psychic barrage works just like a semi-automatic burst. Yep. That is, you can get multiple hits using the same methodology as a semi-automatic burst. Uh, a psychic storm works just like a full auto attack as well. And a psychic blast works like a weapon with the blast quality. So it's nice here they've really sort of brought these back to the the, the traditional combat system to sort of you, not make, not overcomplicate things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's definitely an improvement over the original Dark Heresy psychic system, which was a mishmash system, which we never really liked. Yes. Um, and it's very similar to some of the later systems, like Black Crusade, Only War. Um, just a bit neater and tidier, I think. Yeah, I mean, that was really one of the hardest things to convert from older, like from Dark Heresy into other games in, in the line was the oh, psychic powers, really. Yeah, you know. definitely, definitely. Okay, so I'm going to ask my question. Yes. Can Cyrene go above 10 if I push? I'm, I'm a psycho with a psi rating of 8, and I use a warp conduit to get my bonus d5, and I roll up a 5. Does that give me a psi rating of 13? I don't... Well, okay. It, it implies that there's a hard cap of 10 on psi rating. It doesn't... The rules for push don't say that it has a maximum as such, so... So it's the same yeah. as previous editions, where it doesn't implicitly say either way. Yeah. I will point out that when you have a psi rating... Oh, uh, yeah, psi rating of 10 wouldn't necessarily be a minus 100 because it would be what you're over your amount by and such. Exactly, too, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe oh, I'll ask Tim when I'm in, <laughs> in a few weeks' time in, in Indianapolis. I, I, think, I, think, I think you're right. I think the answer will be no. Yeah. 10 is the maximum you can get to, in which case, at that point, you're not going to be bothering to push it anymore unless you're sustaining multiple powers yeah. to get yourself back to your natural... Um, but that's another question as well. If I'm sustaining three powers, I've got minus three to my psi rating, and I push to get a plus three, am I actually pushing, and do I get a minus 30 on my roll for pushing three points over, or is that still my natural psi rating? I mean, No, I'd say, because it, it basically says it lowers your effective psi rating by one, so I'd say that you could still, even if there was a, put, even if there was a cap of ten, yep. it was reduced by one because of a... Yeah, because of a uh, sustained power, I'd say you could still push it back up to ten again with a push. If I was wrong on that, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, you could, but would you get the penalty for pushing? I'd say you would, yes. Yeah, the minus yeah, be, 10 because, to your, yeah, to your uh, manifestation run. Yeah, yeah, because effectively it, it's the penalty for sustaining the power in the first place, really. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, I mean, end of the day, I would be surprised if player... I mean, 
I very much doubt you're going to see many psychics getting up to that sort of level in Cyrac. And if they do, they've neglected everything else. So they're not going to have many powers to throw around <laughs> anyway. <it>. Yeah. <laughs> they're very good at one thing, you know. Yeah. Which... I'm very good at throwing this paperclip around. But... Yeah, because I mean, once again, they're, they're, you've got to buy the psychic powers in order, which means I've got the lower level powers anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Like, at the end of the day, it, we'll kind of wait to talk about building the mystic as well, but you've really got to have a... It, it's like with any sort of magic-using class in any game as such, it's experience purchase-based, is that you will be quite heavy on your experience purchases towards those special abilities. You're not going to be yeah. buying up regular skills and talents and yeah. characteristics a lot. You're going yeah. to be focusing on psychic powers and psi rating. Because yeah. it, it will get expensive. You know, yeah, in the absolutely. Day. That's it. All right, so that's the second edition psychic system. I mean, Mike, so you've played a psyker in first edition... Dark Heresy? Yep. You've played a Psyker in Black Crusade? Crusade. I've played a Psyker in Rogue Trader. Yep. Did you play? You, you, played, you definitely played one in, um, in Death Watch. You played yeah, I've played Librarian in, in Death Watch. I've played it in all of them except for Only War. Okay. Um, and I haven't actually played one in Dark Heresy's Egg Edition yet. Yeah, but okay, so just looking at those systems across the board, do you? what do you think about that? I, I think that this is the... This is probably the best refinement. Yep. Um, again, I would have preferred it if they'd had just one page, just somewhere where it just said, these are all the abilities you can use, these are all the advantages you can get, these are all the pluses, these are all the minuses. Just like a cheat sheet page yeah, which tells good. you everything in one place so that the GM can just flick to it. I like what they did, with, for example, with Black Crusade where it listed all the various things like your sacrifice and that sort of stuff in the psychic section as well as in the talent section where the talents required to use them actually were. E- exactly, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Just to wrap it all up nice and neatly so that you can always just flick to one page you know where you're looking um but that's it that's that's a, there's only so many pages you have to squeeze in everything else so that, that's not a problem um i do prefer this system where not pushing using all your power gives you a bonus to use the powers or using it at a minor level gives you extra advantage i think that's good yeah i think that's a definite step in the right direction i think that this is pretty much the best they've got um it's just going to come down to what they do when they bring out something with sorcery in it and how you know the radical the, the new radicals handbook type system <laughs> whether whether it's different or whether it's completely different or whether it's just yeah. the same as the psychic system i mean i like this that the fact that they put an element of gambling into it from the fact that if you want to push your power up you are going to have a have less chance of pulling it off previously yeah. The only reason you didn't push was, was the risk of psychic, psychic phenomena. phenomena. But there were certain talents that meant that you could spend an infamy point to ignore whatever psychic phenomena you got. In which case, why wouldn't you just push all the time? Yeah, yeah. And, and the only event, then you had fettered in that other option oh. where you could try and do that to not get any psychic phenomena. But here, there's no way to completely exclude the chance of psychic phenomena. Exactly, which I do like as well. Yeah, that's it. All right, let's move on to talking about the mystic then. All subsequent report to the administrator for career assignment. All right, so let's get on to our role discussion. And we'll yep. start off with the role of the mystic in Dark Heresy. So, yes. end of the day, these represent psychers in the service of the Inquisition. Yes. Uh, they are The mystic role is basically your psyker role, because it gives you for free as a special ability, which I'll mention in a second, uh, the psyker elite advance. Yep. You can still be a, a different role and be a psyker because you yep. can buy the elite event separately. But this is the role that is intended to be the the psyker for the group. It's not to say. It also covers other things because they get a lot of... A, their aptitudes are geared very much towards psychics and also defense against psychics and 
also for sort of more intellectual pursuits. So they're, they're not going to be just a psycho. Yeah, they're going to be the person who knowledge, knows. Knowledge, intelligence, etc. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, I think that the specific role that, that a mystic will play in the group will become dependent upon the power set you choose to do. You know, player characters who come from... Or play, sorry, players who come from games like Dungeons & Dragons are used to the concept of, I need to have as many spells as possible to give myself a whole bunch of versatility. Yeah. Whereas, I'd say that in this system, in the setting as such, psychers are more built around the concept that I do this, I'm very good at this, and my master chooses to have me with them because of... What my, I can Yeah, do. that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm an awesome diviner. Yeah. And my prognostication abilities are what, you know, my liege requires me to do. You know, I, I am great in combat, you know, all these sorts of things. Is that you probably need to try and break that play mentality of I'm going to be a little bit of everything and dabble across all the various disciplines and such. That's why I did like the fact in first edition Dark Heresy that you had to basically buy into each discipline. Yeah. You know, and it became quite expensive to try and become, you know, multi Multi-discipline. Yeah, multi-talent in that respect, yeah. But in yeah. this case, there's no particular controls, but except for, I guess, the fluff here. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing is that the mystic role also poses something of a risk to the group, really, because at the end of the day, a psyker is always something of a risk. Yeah. And there is always a chance that they will just roll really badly on their psychic power manifestation, end up with a psychic phenomena, end up with a peril of the warp, and produce some effect which puts them and their friends at great peril. Yeah. Yeah, so... And the way that... The Inquisition deal with that, you know, can be a, an interesting storytelling component as well. So, I guess that the fact that the, the mystic is there in the group means that the the whoever's organised the group, you know, the Inquisitor presumably has taken precautions to ensure that the mystic is watched or such. <laughs> he's he's prepared for if anything goes wrong. That's it. Yeah. Okay, so the mystic special ability, which is staring into the warp, simply gives them, as I mentioned, the psycho elite advance for free. Yep. So, whereas every other role gets some sort of knick-knack ability as such, something that just, you know, to use in a, in a circumstantial situation, here it's just bang, you get the advance, say 300 XP. Yeah, that is my question actually here. Do yeah. you think other abilities that other classes have are worth, worth 300, 300 XP? It's, I, I, would, I would probably say no. You know, and it's the same with like the powers, the abilities that, that home worlds get as such. But, you know... It's going to depend upon the game as well. Like, yeah. you know, you, you look at, for example, uh, what a, a feudal water gets with their ability to add the proven quality to low-tech weapons. If your game is a whole feral bunch world. of... Sorry, feral, feral, sorry, feral, feral yeah, world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then you, you know, if, you've got a whole, if your game is all melee combat with low-tech weapons, and that's a really awesome ability as such, you know. Yeah. Um, but if you end up going into the high spies and having shootouts constantly, yeah, it's not worth that at all. Yep. So I guess it's up to the GM to ensure that the opportunities exist for players to use their special abilities because oh. the opportunity will always exist for the psyche to use their psychic powers. Exactly. That's that's what I was going to say. I have to say I think that it is worth 300 XP. And I think the others are within context. And I think in some games they're going to be worth more and in some games they're going to be worth less. But the psyche always has theirs and it's always applicable. Yeah. There's no, in this special circumstance you can use this. It's always applicable. That's it's it. always useful. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk now about actually building Mystic. And, and okay. yeah, we've done lots of shows where we've talked about psychics from other systems as well. And, you know, without a doubt, number one thing you're always going to want is willpower. Yeah. It's going to drive the majority of your psychic abilities. Um, you know, it's, it's just what what psychics need is willpower. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, we've also said if, if you want to have combat abilities, then weapon skills are a good way to go. 
Mainly because of... Uh, force weapons. Force weapons, exactly right. If you can afford and get hold of one. <laughs> yeah, which could be a long-term goal. Yeah. But, you know, a very high, very powerful Psyker will be more effective in melee combat than they will be in ranged combat because of force weapons. In yes. the long run, unless they want to keep throwing out psychic bolts and such all the time. Well, you know, I suppose it also depends what type of Psyker they are. I mean, if they're... They're all about the pyro disciplines. I mean, they're heavy artillery. They're going to want to be standing pretty far back so they don't get caught in the blasts of their own powers. That's true. Yeah. All right, from here on then, though, it's really going to depend upon what discipline you actually want to go with. Yes. So, for example, Biomancy focuses on strength, toughness, and perception. Yeah. Um, Divination focuses on perception. Pyromancy focuses on agility. Yeah. Uh, Telekinesis on intelligence and telepathy on fellowship with... Agility specifically for the invisibility power. Yeah, uh, I think that intelligence really, you know, whether you're a, tele- a tele- telekine or not, is an I- important. I'd say intelligence is probably an important one for psychics in general because, as you say, like that, the the mystic role gets all those intelligence based. It, it does come down to whether you're a psyker through the mystic or whether you're a psyker through some other yeah. thing. Here, here we're talking about the mystic. We're only talking about the mystic yeah. here, so it's important to remember that, that yeah. intelligence. Yeah, I'd say that's a key attribute regardless of what sort of powers you're using. That's it, yeah. I mean, I'd say regardless of which of those, I'd probably go willpower, intelligence, perception. Yeah, the main one definitely, there. yeah. Because Sinusiensis runs off, runs off perception, I believe, still. So Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yes. All right, so skills and talents. We haven't put a lot down here because, once again, as we mentioned, you want to spend, want to spend most of your XP probably in increasing your side rating and acquiring the powers you need to be effective. But looking at skills... Um, awareness, um, Sinusiance, there you two sort of you know, perception-based abilities. Law skills. All one, of them. Yeah, for mystics, that's it. Yep. Uh, and if, on the off chance, you are an unsanctioned psyker, because you, you, know, you can take mystic to become that, deceive might be going to go with as well if you're trying to yes. hide that, that unsanctioned nature of yourself. Yes. Yeah. Um, talent-wise, resistant psychic powers. I mean, we've always said before that if you are the psyker, you'll probably be the, the, the target of enemy psychers as well. Yep. Yeah, so that resistance power is quite good because that also gives you access to strong-minded, which allows you to re-roll failed willpower tests to resist psychic powers. This is an interesting one as well because... Look at this way. So it says you can re-roll failed attempts to resist psychic powers. So if I'm rolling an opposed check against someone, someone's attacked me, I roll an opposed check. They have three degrees of success. I have one degree of success. So I have succeeded by rolling above the, the relevant target number, but not by an amount required to you, prevent the psychic power from affecting me. So is, I, I, is that a failed test? I, I, it's not a failed test, so you couldn't use a fake point to re-roll that. Yeah. But it is a failed attempt to resist, because yeah. you have not. the end result is you haven't resisted. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, to do this the best way, I think that the GM should probably roll their usage work out how many degrees of success they've got and then say to the player, okay, you're rolling to resist at minus whatever. So if they've got three degrees, you'd say, you're rolling to resist at minus 30. And that gives the player a good idea and it also clears up that problem of have they succeeded or not. And also, I mean, if you're using fake points and you've only got 5% chance and the player doesn't know that, um, that they may choose not to use the fake point. So it will depend on the style of the GM. I'd recommend probably telling them how many degrees the opponent's got. That's it. I wouldn't tell them how many degrees the opponent's got on resisting a power that they use. That's it. But, um, yeah, on the player trying to resist, yeah. That's it. 
Uh, okay, now Strong Minded also unlocks a few other good ones. So Bastion of Iron Will, which lets you add five times your Psy rating as an in defense rather than two times. Yep. So, you know, say you've got a Psy rating of five, you're adding plus 25 rather than plus 10. Yep. It's quite a big jump, especially because you probably have a high willpower as well. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Warp Conduit, which, as you say, allows you to spend fate to gain plus 1d5 Psy rating. It doesn't really indicate whether that's on top of what you get from pushing otherwise. Yeah, so that, that raises the question of if I roll 5, is that an extra minus 50 on my um, my manifest roll? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it a pretty useless talent because you're never going to pull it off. So I, I think that's one. That, that's a question for Tim yeah. there. But I'd say as a house rule, I'd say it's something you roll at the end that you have no control over. Yeah. And I'd actually say that the player has no control over it either. Yeah, and I- they can't choose not to use... The full amount of whatever they roll. Yeah, or you can even do it from the point of view of saying that okay, you you, you manifest the power with a normal level of push. You make the roll, you, and but when it comes to resolving the results, you spend a fake point and you increase your final side rating via the D five to work out range, damage, etc. Yeah, I'd say that's probably a good thing. But like I said, I'd probably say you can't choose not to use all of it. Yeah. So a power which you only wanted to knock someone out with, you roll a D five, you roll a five, you might accidentally kill them. Yeah. Um. Well, you know. Everything's got a risk. That's it. Uh, and the last one that runs on strong mind is Warplock, which allows you to, once per session, ignore the results of a psychic phenomena roll. Yes. It doesn't imply whether that means that the psychic phenomena just doesn't happen or that it happens but doesn't affect you. Yeah. Um, Does it say ignore the results of the psychic phenomena roll, not including not, perils in, not including perils of the warp? On top of that, just by using the ability, you take a D5 energy hit to the head. Yeah, from the uh, from the force required to just push the warp out of there as such, you know. So yeah, yeah, I, I would imply because of that extra damage, it means that the psychic trauma just does not happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so you've also got uh, warp sense, which allows you to roll some instances of free action. So very handy for just oh, always picking up where psychic powers are coming from. Definitely. Uh, and lastly, favor by the warp allows you to roll twice and choose a result of your psychic phenomenon. And it does say, well, sorry. You can re-roll, I believe, but you cannot re-roll if you have rolled Perils of the Warp. Yeah. Yeah, so if you've rolled over 25... So in previous systems, you know, you could you could re-roll no matter what your result was, which would mean it was very hard for the GM to get a Perils of the Warp in to there go as such. Up, yeah. Here, no, if you've rolled above 76 in the first attempt, or 76 or above, then you are, it goes off. No I, I think it's important quickly just to flash back to the last section we did. Yeah. Um, quickly mention that if you did get a bonus to your roll on Psychic Phenomena, yep. that bonus does not apply to, to Perils, Perils of the Warp. Warp. Exactly yeah. right, yeah. Perils I'll, of the Warp be screwed. Is, <laughs> is a roll which is unmodified by anything. It's just a natural D100, whatever you roll is whatever you roll. Yeah. That's it. And, okay. and there can be some pretty character-destroying Yeah, exactly. There as well. You know, yeah. If you had a plus 30 on the Perils of the Warp roll, it'd be, it'd be, you'd never do it. That's it. Yeah, okay. All right. So let's talk about Homewells that are good for the, uh, for the Mystic. Really, probably two stand out for me, the Shrine World. So they get both willpower uh, as a high stat and also the willpower. You know, you're going to get willpower anyway, but that just means you get an extra aptitude in some of other... Of your choice. Of which, your choice. Is... So you know if you're a mystic, you could choose your extra aptitude to be agility. So you, if you're a pyromancy, you've, exactly right, you can yeah. at least increase your agility for a cheap amount. That's it. Um, yeah. Uh, other one I picked was Voidborn. Uh, Voidborn, I think, is a classic uh, sort of psycho background as well. They get plus, They get high willpower as well. And they get strong-minded for free, too. Yeah. So, you know, potentially a, a very good but option there. 
the only thing is they don't get resistance psychic powers, powers yep. for free. So if they want to get those other ones which are dependent on resistance psychic powers, they still have to buy those. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so backgrounds. I mean, the intended background you could say for Mystic is Adeptus Astrotelepathica. Yeah. There's no point in going to all the various things. You get a whole bunch of stuff which is good for you know for, for psychics to use. Yeah. Like Sinistians, for example. Well, I suppose probably one of the main ones is if you start with Psy rating, which as a Mystic you will, Yes. it starts at two instead of yeah, one. Yeah, because so you, that, you get the sanction trait, basically. Yeah, so that's, that's 400 right. XP right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you can go through the other ones. Nothing really stands out as, hey, this is a great thing to use for... Uh, a great background to use for a Psyker as such. It just comes down to what flavour you want if you want yeah. to play an unsanctioned Psyker. Yeah. Uh, so as, as we've been doing with our Dark Heresy Sega stuff, we've been sort of looking at a few different builds. So I put together three builds here. Um, I started off with just the, the straight, standard, trained, sanctioned Psyker. You know, yeah. the, the, the typical Imperial Psyker who is in the service of the, Inquis- of the Inquisition. So okay. I've gone Voidborn. I said it's a great starting point. The Devastation of the Pathica, and then Mystic. Okay. So they're going to get a high intelligence and willpower, but a low strength. You know, oh, boo, no. Boo-hoo on the strength, that's right. Uh, skills, awareness, common law, a Devastation of the Pathica, interrogation, forbidden law, the warp, and sunny science. You know, All good, good, good set of law skills there. Talented at strong-minded, resistant psychic powers, weapon training, laz and low-tech. Right, good start there. They'll be sanctioned with Psy rating 2. Uh, gear will be a laz pistol, staff, Light Flat Cloak and Psy Focus. All uh, useful. That's it. Uh, fate Threshold of 3 with a 5 plus chance of getting a 4th point. So, good high fate. Aptitudes of Intelligence, Defense, Fellowship, Weapon Skill, Knowledge, Perception, Willpower, and Psyker. Yeah. So, good selection there. 7 plus 1d5 wounds. Um, when it comes to selected purchases, Psychic Powers. <laughs> psychic <laughs> Powers because you don't get any when you create a character. Yeah. So To be said, this character will actually be not too bad at close combat as well because they got weapon skill and defense so they can get their parry up fairly cheap yep. they can buy weapon skill obviously not as cheap as a dedicated combat character but they can still buy it fairly cheap yeah. and yeah knowledge and intelligence I mean I look at this as your typical Imperial Guard Psyker for example oh, yeah, you know, tra- tra- train for the conflicts as such they're not an astropath because you know, they've still got their eyes for example you know. they're not yeah. a frontline soldier but they're certainly going to have a lot of use in various roles exactly right definitely alright the second example I thought I'd go for some sort of like primitive witch you know so I went here with Feral World Outcast Mystic and I have to say, Feral World is an excellent choice for if you want to be a close combat psyker. Yeah. Because force weapons are still counted as That's primitive yes. weapons. That's right. Yeah. Um, I will point out, as I go through this build, this is one of my sort of inherent problems with the Outcast uh, background, and that is that the uh, uh, the Outcast background is really built around a technical mindset, you know, yeah. chainsword, etc., etc., on the uh, body glove. Yeah, it's, it's hard to play any character which is um, uh, basically, I guess, primitive, but not part. Because the thing is that you, you've got the option of outcast or all of the regular imperial sex and such. You know, so a ministratum or you know a, 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 a ministorum, a ministorum. You know, yeah. imperial guard. If you want to play someone who's just a, a fringer as such, you know, from a low tech world. It's hard to do, even with an outcast, because you're going to get that... Yeah, so the, the gear in your skills are going to be a little bit odd. Yeah. Okay, so what we got here was high strength, high toughness, low influence. Oh, no, no. no real adjustment, but decent in combat too. So skills of acrobatics, common law underworld, 
deceive, dodge, and stealth. So good at hiding from, I guess, being discovered as, a, as an unsanctioned psyker. Uh, talents of weapon training, uh, chain, and solid projectile. So unfortunately, no primitive, no primitive, no low tech there. Uh, but warp sense as well. Uh, rating of one. They'll get an auto pistol, chain sword, armor, body glove, and two two doses of slot. Yep. Uh, fate threshold of two with a very good chance three plus of getting a third. Aptitudes of toughness, field craft, defense, intelligence, knowledge, perception, and willpower. Okay, not so, bad. Yeah, a mixed set there, really. I mean, I, I was trying to go for sort of like the mystic shaman as such, but really it's turned into a bit of a... A bit more of a techno shaman. <laughs> That's right, yeah, with, with good combat skills. You know? Yeah. So there's a purchase of psychic powers. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty simple. Um, I'd say probably by weapon training primitive as well. <laughs> That's it. Uh, third example I've done here is sort of the, the warp touch sorcerer, someone who's been effectively mutated by the warp to become a psycho and once okay. unsanctioned. So I've gone for Frontier World, exposure to the warp through travels, uh, mutant mystic. Okay. So they're going to get a high ballistic skill, high perception, but low fellowship. I don't think a, a low fellowship psycho misses out much unless they want to be a, tele- a telepath. Yeah. Um, athletics, awareness, dodge, forbidden law, mutants, and survival. Yeah, I think so, you mean deceive instead of dodge. Uh, deceive, sorry, my mistake. Okay. Uh, talents of weapon training, low tech, solid projectile, and warp sense. So this is maybe getting more into that sort of concept I went for the, in the second part. Yeah, uh, they'll get uh, they get a mutation. I picked dark sight for the purpose of this build. Something you know, but that could easily be a natural characteristic, for example. Yeah. Um, rating one. They get a shotgun, grapple online, heavy leathers, combat vest, and two doses of stim. Yep. Faith threshold of three, seven plus, so not a great chance of a fourth one. Nah. Mutants are rarely blessed by in the sight of the Emperor. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Aptitudes are ballistic skill, offense, defense, intelligence, knowledge, perception, and willpower. Uh, It's not a bad collection, actually, especially with the offense and uh, defense. Yeah, they probably make a good, uh, like you say, the artillerist. Yeah, oh, definitely. That's it. Uh, And uh, wounds of seven... Plus 1d5, and Sister Purchases, mm, Psychic Powers. Yeah, Psychic Powers. That's it. <laughs> um, may, probably, I'd also suggest they get Sinicience as well. Yeah. They've got true. good perception. They get perception as a bonus. Yeah. Bonus stat. And Warp Sense, they can roll they can roll as a free action as well. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. I think that's probably a good choice. Definitely yeah. get Sinicience. That's it. Uh, okay, so there's three example builds. You know, a bit distinct. Yep. Uh, okay, so finally, I did suggestions for playing a Mystic. Uh, work out, you know, do you want to be sanctioned or unsanctioned? That's an important part. And if you're unsanctioned, does the rest of the group know? Does the Inquisitor know or are, is, it, is this a character secret, basically? Yeah. Um, what specialty do you plan to bring to the table? You know, if you try to be everything to everybody, you're going to end up with a cast which is too mixed where everybody else feels, but like, but you're good at artillery, but I'm also a range fighter, or, you know, you're good at buffing yourself, but I'm also a melee combatant. You know, just pick what you want to be the specialist at and focus on that. Yep. And yeah, remember that your character can really screw the group over, you know. So, so be careful. Yeah, just be careful. That's it, because it really sucks when the group gets pulled down by a really bad roll. Yeah. Anyway, that's the mystic. So okay. let's uh, let's keep going, shall we? Yep. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium, stand by to receive orders. Okay, so plot hook wise for Dark Heresy, here's what I've got. Here's what you've got. Okay. During a mission, the warband observes the Inquisitor manifest a psychic power for the first time. The Inquisitor has never mentioned this power before, nor do they bear any of the typical signs of sanctioning. What will the Warband do with the fact that the Liege may be an unsanctioned psyker? So, I guess this comes down to, as a gem, if you want to test your character against the rad- a radical Inquisitor as such, you know. Yeah. At the end of the day, there is this concept in the fluff, in some cases, of a field sanctioning. 
Yes. You know, an Inquisitor, you know, discovers that one of their, uh, their acolytes, acolytes has suddenly manifested psychics either through just personal development or through mutation. And they decide that while normally the protocol would be stick on a black ship, send them off for several years to Terra to be tested and potentially consumed in the, uh, in the astropathic choir, uh, they're going to actually you know, drop a bit on them that says this person is sanctioned. sanctioned their, their psychic nature is okay with me. Now, there are some implications that, when that even when that does happen, it's just a temporary stay until the character needs to then be eventually transferred off for the regular psychic testing as such. Yep. Uh, I think it's one of the things where, where fluff contradicts itself from time to time. You know, uh, you look at, for example, the Eisenhorn books. There's no implication that Eisenhorn has ever been to terror for sanctioning, for sanctioning as such. You know, well, I suppose he's a little bit different for an Inquisitor from a normal pleb. The Inquisitor yeah. can write his own stay of execution for the entirety of his life. Yes. I mean, <laughs> this writ of uh, he doesn't have to go to terror ends when he dies. Yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. He's an Inquisitor who's going who's going to argue with him. Um, yeah. I think this comes Another in... Inquisitor? <laughs> well, there is that possibility, <laughs> yes. Um, I think this comes in very well if you want to have an Inquisitor who's always dabbled in the slightly heretical and then suddenly they start showing off psychic powers that they've never had before and they've obviously shown that they've never been a psychic before. You know, are they now using sorcery? Have they got some sort of horrible warp-spawned artifact that they're using? Um... The only thing is, you have to be careful with this one, because if the players do decide to act against their Inquisitor, they could soon end up Inquisitorless. Yes. Or getting crushed utterly by an Inquisitor who is vastly more powerful than they are. Yeah. So be careful with this one. I mean, th- this came up not so much from the Inquisitor, but this came up in our, our first Dark Area Secret that ran for years, where um, one of the player characters was, was hit by a... Mutating uh, bolt a, a muta- of change. Mutating bolt of change from a... From a um, yeah, uh, Keeper of Secrets, and it's... Uh, uh, Lord of Change. Sorry, Lord of Change. God, i them up now. Uh, and uh, uh, she rolled her mutation, she rolled what um, manifest uh, psychic powers and such, you know. Yeah. And then in a later module, she chose to, chose to use a psychic power, which was very... Um, oh, very no, no, minor. Very yes. minor, not obvious as such, you know. But in that particular module, there was a... Circumstances meant that whenever psychic powers were manifested, there was a high chance that feathered rainbow feathered wings would suddenly burst from the character's back and then decay a moment later. You know, and so this happened in, in fair, fair side of the rest of the group, and they were like, "Well, okay, so what do we do now?" You know, we just discovered this person has something really weird going on about them, and yep. you know, so it became a, a difficult thing for the game as such as you know, how do you handle any sudden revelation of the character that was not previously a psychic now is. Yeah. whether it's the Inquisitor or another player character. But, you know, it can create some interesting conflict in the group as well, especially when you've got the situations like a, um, you know, some characters who are, are more accepting of more radical tendencies and other characters who are staunchly puritanical in their beliefs as such. Yeah. You know, so it certainly happened in, it happened in the books, you know, so it comes down to what, you know, interesting character conflict you can you produce. Yeah. Yeah. Just thought, anyway, just something that you, where you can use psychic powers in your own campaign to mix things up. Definitely. Right, let's keep going. Revere the Omnisia, for it is the source of all power. All right, war gear wise, I want to talk about the Psy Focus. Now, okay, yeah, yeah. This is something that uh, Adeptus Astrotelepathica characters can get for free if they are, because remember, you can still be Astrotelepathica and not be a Psyker. Yeah. You may be one of the, you know, the people sent with the Psyker to 
kill them should they you know fall to the warp as such. Yep. Uh, but if you are a psychic, you have the option of choosing the psi focus. Uh, and Mike, I want to put this at you. So, so in your mind, what is a psi focus? Something which lets the character focus their mind. Yes. So it could be a memento from their past life that lets them remember happier times to clear their mind. It could be something reminiscent from their sanctioning. So it could be an imperial aquila or something given to them while they were being sanctioned. Or it could be something that they've found at a later date. It could be even a, if they're particularly radical, some sort of horrible Xenos artifact like a Eldar rune or something like that, or a shard of wraithbone or whatever the player can come up with as an excuse. Yeah, I mean the book basically said, like you've basically said there, it defines it as an object that the character has attuned themselves with in order to assist their psychic focusing, basically. Yeah. So, you know, it could be anything, you know, a finger bone, it could be, you know, a crystal, something, something that they have chosen is, is a fetish for their own concentration and such, their, their, own, their own power. Essentially, it's anything you could buy in any New Age shop <laughs> right now. No, but, but, okay, I, I'm going to dispute that one, though, because it does imply in the book that the character has spent time to... Attune Attune, that's it. It's something that is important to them. So let's go back to our Black Crusade game. You're playing a Thousand Sun Sorcerer. Yep. Thousand Sun Sorcerers don't get a Psy Focus in their starting kit. Yep. One of the first things you did when we started the game was say, I want to acquire a Psy Focus. Yes. And likewise, Psy Focus, I have a rarity value. Which is not very rare at all. That's it, yeah. So why do you have to acquire an object which can be anything that your character attunes to? And why is it, you know, that, you know, you can, you can just attune anything you pick up in the shop? Why, you know, it's... Because rules. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know. I, I have to say, I think it's silly. Um, because it can be literally anything. I think that all psychers buying the background talent, you know, sorry, the, the uh, elite advanced psyker, yes. you should be able to just say you have a psy focus. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't work that way. They, yeah. They've given it a, a rarity, which is actually rarer than ubiquitous. Yeah. So you can just get. So you have to actually find an item which not only you can just focus yourself on, but which can actually stand up to the rigours of being focused on, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, the warp channel through it as such. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it does have rules advantages as well to ha- owning a Absolutely. It gives, it gives you plus 10 on your focus power test, basically. Which is actually quite a lot. Yeah. And they've done away with the old invocation skill, so there's no need to invocate first in order to get that benefit either. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, at the end of the day, I don't think that's a huge change I think, I think i would happily say that any psyker would be able to have a psy focus for that plus 10 it only it's only going to matter where um they you, lose their focus they lose they... their focus or you know they lose their gear or whatever i guess the question comes up of do you need to actually manipulate the focus in some way to use it? like do you need to pull out of your pocket and rub it or you know hold it to your forehead or that sort of thing you know is it going to become obvious you're using a psychic power when a psy focus becomes into the mix as well or do you, or is simply owning it and having its presence on your body enough to? Yeah. I mean, it comes down to when you played D and D. Did you track material components? You know, did you count how many stashes of bat guano you had in your component's pouch for throwing fireballs? You know, <laughs> yeah, it, that that's that's true. Yeah, I, I think that you know, I mean, I would certainly encourage any person playing a psychic character in any of the systems to get a side focus if they don't already have it as part of their starting oh, kit absolutely um, you know but as a GM I would not be stingy with giving people these things they are you know really speaking they could be any item which is important to the character 
you know, if it's not in a starting kit, I wouldn't be averse to saying, look, you know, it's something that you would have anyway because it's, most cyclists would, would get something. And it's not game-breaking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the important thing to remember is if every player character that has a cycle can have one, then certainly every NPC bad guy who's a cycle can have one as well. Yes. And get their plus 10 too. Okay. All right, then, let's keep going. My lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. All right, so it's going to be a relatively short review today. As I mentioned before, my original plan was to try and uh, review Forbidden Sons, but uh, that didn't happen because of life. Uh, However, we will be talking about Seeds of Heresy. As you mentioned in an earlier episode, Seeds of Heresy has now been put up onto the FFG website. It's a downloadable adventure for Dark Heresy 2nd Edition. It was the module which originally appeared in the 2nd Edition beta book. Uh, We ran it, so if you go all the way back to episode 6... That will actually be our playtest group talking about their experience with playing through Seeds of Heresy. It has been updated somewhat since its original appearance, mainly from a rules point of view to make sure that the rules gel this time around. And I think it's a very clever module for introducing new players to Dark Heresy 2nd Edition. Yeah. Uh, I also think it's great because you can actually play the module several times over with different characters. So say, for example... You know, I've got this group of Dark Heresy players, and we play for ages. And uh, you know, we, we use Seeds of Heresy as a starting as a starting point. And we play it, and then the game breaks apart, and we decide, okay, well, three of us from that group are going to go and start a new group, and we're going to start playing Dark Heresy with that new group and, and start with new characters. But they need to learn Dark Heresy as well. We can still run Seeds of Heresy and make it different enough that the players who play it the first time can still enjoy it. Yes. Yeah, and the, the important thing here. For this, for this game, basically, is that it's set on a world where there are a number of opposed forces in play. You yeah. know, you have... Various factions. Factions, yeah. You've got this Agri-Guild, you've got the Nobles, you know, you've got the, the various groups that, that are in play here. And for every group, the module basically defines, here is what the group is doing and what their goals are if they are true. You know, effectively, they are what if they're they, legitimate. Legitimate. They're what they say they are. They are, you know, loyal servants of the Imperium. You know, who are upstanding and, and doing what doing what they say they are going to do. Okay. Then the second thing here's what they are like if they are criminal. You know, so their their activities are illegal within the scope of the Imperium, which you know may fall under the bounds of Inquisition, or maybe something more for referring to, um, I guess, the Arbitres, for example. Arbitres or planetary. That's know. it. Planetary yeah. defense force police, uh, but at the end of the day, it is it is not kosher. You know, there is there's something there's some point of what they're doing, and the player characters can discover. It's that. illegal but non heretical. Exactly, and then there's the third option of this is what this faction is like if they are heretical. You know, they are act, they are active supporters of chaos gods. Um, you know, they are enacting some dark ritual to poison the food, or you know, do whatever these are going to do. And, and and so they are the true enemies of the Inquisition as such. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the day, that there's a number of factions, and you can basically say, at the start of the game, okay, in this game, I'm going to make these guys legitimate, these guys criminal, these guys heretical, I'm going to make all three heretical, I'm going to make these two both criminal, and this one legit. Whatever you want to do, every single I'm going to make all three legitimate. <laughs> That's it. It's all just a paperwork snafu. And at the end of the day, some of them are... I mean, when I so one of the factions, for example, is the head of the Ministerium on the world, right? Yeah. And 
what happened is the game starts off with basically the player character receiving a letter sent by the old head of the Ministorum saying there is you know, we need the help of the Inquisition there is heresy afoot on this world send help now okay but due to the feral you know due to warp this message has arrived years later yeah. And when the PCs arrive, that Ministerium priest is long dead, and in his place is a new person who is quite young and inexperienced. And um, I, I found the players in our game went straight for like he's definitely the bad guy, you know, inexperienced Ministerium priest. He's he's got some sort of cult going behind him, and, and it was good because in my game I decided he was the only legit one. Yeah, I, I decided that the nobles were uh, criminal and that the agricultural guild was heretical. And that that was how my game worked out. You know, now if I was to go and run Seeds of Heresy, even with that same group again, I might now say, okay, well, they won't suspect the priest this time, so the priest is now heretical. You know, and the agricultural guild are legit, and the nobles are still criminals, or you know, whatever it might be. You know, I, I could yeah. do as such. And uh, I really like that about this module as such is the fact that you have that it's sort of modular. versatility. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, it. That's a nice, nice pun there. It's a modular module. Uh, but yeah, it, it runs quite well. I think that it would run, say, or I mean, you can always extend games. But I think about a four-hour session is enough. You know, it's, yeah. it's got that sort of con module feel to it. You know, you can easily, if, if you were going to a convention and wanted to sort of introduce Dark Heresy to new players, I think it's a good module to do it. Definitely, oh, definitely. And you can also run it differently each time for each different group. Just choose who's heretical as each group sits down, and yeah. that way, you know, it's different each time too. Yeah, yeah. For you. So you're not running exactly the same thing each time. I mean, certainly we we played the module that appears in the, the second edition actual book at Gen Con, and we can only play through a part of it because it was it's just too long for a, for a con module as such. And I think Seeds of Heresy is much shorter. Much yeah. shorter. That's it. Yeah, and, and uh, like you say, you should really screw with play, like long term 40k plays and make everyone legit and have them constantly jumping at shadows that aren't there trying yeah. to find the heretical source as such you know and I think with that particular scenario though you have to leave them something that is heretical at the end so maybe years later so the person who was heretical has already left the planet but has left a trial so yeah. now you get to go off after them yeah, I mean it depends on it could be a comedy game where they just tear down everything only to find out that everything's fine but you know it's Inquisition <laughs> they can do that you know yeah, exactly <laughs> congratulations citizens you are all free no you're all dead though so <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's a good module. It's it's worth checking out. If you didn't get to play it in the in the beta, you know, download it now. Check it out. It's it's well worth a look and a, a good fun to run and play. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Okay. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. Okay, so let's get into our final discussion topic. And I haven't got a lot of notes for this one. I think I think it's been more of a, a free form discussion as we've done in the past as well. Yeah, yeah. And it really comes down to psychers and the Inquisition. Yeah, because at the end of the day, the Inquisition is a group that, by well, for the most part, by its charter, is set up to protect the Imperium from all possible sources of evil, of including which, yeah, psychers. Of which psychers are a very big part. You know, the the, the black ships which collect psychers and take them back to uh, to Terra are actually in the service of the Inquisition. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it, exactly. If you read through the law in forty k. It's heavily suggested that the Dark Age of Technology ended and the uh, Great Period of Strife occurred because there were no black ships and there were too many psychers just wandering around free, opening up gates to the warp. You know, it, they're dangerous. 
Yeah, that's it. I mean, they, if, they're, if they're untrained and unsanctioned, they, you know, will they have a threat. Great risk. And it's one of the first things that, you know, you've got this concept in some of the novels that in, there are groups of inquisitors who just literally f- go from planet to planet dealing with whatever problems are, occur that require the Inquisition's eye. And one of the first things they do when they arrive on any planet is find out what's been happening with the local psycho population because psychos are just naturally born in places and yeah. need to be corralled and and you know imprisoned until such time as a black ship can arrive to collect them or simply burned at the stake or yeah that's it yeah. I mean, but you, you find situations where you've got colonies that have, haven't had contact with the Imperium for a while and suddenly a psyker is born and they reveal them like a god and they suddenly become yeah. a, you know, a, a, a spiritual leader for their people and the Inquisition turns up and says okay this is all sorts of bad we need to we need to fix, fix this, this problem. Yeah. and then yeah. the populace don't respond well to this newcomer from the stars threatening their god yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah um, but I want to get more into you know in- inquisitors who actually bring psychers into their service. And don't forget, there are a large number of inquisitors who are themselves psychers as well. You know, it's yeah. one of the sort of classic archetypes is that inquisitor with you know those, those unusual powers. Once again, other Eisenhorn or, or Ravenna, for example. Yeah. So why would an inquisitor bring a psyker into their service? What, what does a psyker add to the group that no one else does? Uh, indirectly, protection from the warp. Directly, the ability to use the warp to crush his enemies. <laughs> <laughs> if, he, if he doesn't already have that power. If he doesn't already uh, have that I mean, power. But I mean, you could easily say that you know that heavy heavy firepower also presents that sort of opportunity as well. But it, it depends because you know, I, I suppose this goes back down to to the rule system. If you're shooting a las cannon at a demon, the demon gets his demonic toughness. He gets all these abilities. If you shoot a firebolt at a demon, he doesn't get that. Yeah. So it does more damage, even though it does less damage than a lascan. So it depends what you're fighting against and what the Inquisitor's going after, what they're dealing with as to why they would bring a psycho along. Yeah. And certainly some Inquisitors don't like psychers. They will never bring a psycho along. And any psycho they meet is automatically a suspect. And will probably be put to death. Yeah, this is the the Black Templar thing of why they don't have why they don't have librarians, for example. You know, exactly. They, 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 they figure that they are just too evil to contemplate allowing to exist. Yeah, but they do still use some psychers. They still have astropaths. They still have navigators. But yeah. anyone else, nah, yeah. not but, a shot. But Black Templars in Death Watch will work with other with librarians, just you know, with a complex relationship, for example. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And Inquisitors can be the same. They can either be a case that. They will deal with psychers if they have to, but any psyker who they have control over is in for a really bad time. Yes. I can see a case for describing the relationship of a psyker to an inquisitor as is as a canary. Yes. You know, so you think about, you know, we had the old mines where you'd take canaries down there, so if there was poisonous gas, the canary would die first. And, and then and everyone, everyone would run away. Run away, exactly right. Yeah. So In this case, you, you, you take the psycho along with you, and if psycho Nunians burst out of his skull, everyone else runs away. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's more a case of the fact that the warp is inherently drawn towards psychers. Yes. Whether they, choose to, whether they choose to manifest the powers or not, and there's no system for this, this is just fluff. Whether they choose to use their powers or not, they will be drawn towards the powers of the warp in some respect, and vice versa. Yeah. So if you're, if you're trying to effectively douse for an enemy psyker, you know, your own psyker is a very effective way of doing this, whether they are a diviner or not. You know, effectively, they, 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 their their power will allow them to sense the presence of other psychers when when psychic powers are actually used. So, yeah, you know, they are a very good way of of tracking you know evildoers of the warp as such through as well. 
like you say, they can sometimes they can sometimes present certain tactical opportunities that other other people or situations wouldn't provide. Yeah, you know, for that that's the very reason that the Imperial Guard has psychers on the field with them. They're not there as you know to, as communicators or navigators. They are there as a an extra form of combat. Which is not otherwise available to to the group as such. And they also give you more flexibility as well. If you go into combat against someone who has the ability to stop all radio communication, but you've got a telepath on hand, well, it's not such a big deal. Yeah. I think another part of it is when you get down to some of the investigative side of the Inquisition, having things like you say, a telepath, someone who can read minds, someone who can force people to spill their secrets. Someone who yeah. can tell the future. That's it. I mean, the problem, the problem with interrogation is that if you don't do it properly, invariably the people say what they want, what they think they want, you want to hear in order to stop, stop, stop the pain as such, you yeah. know, which makes, invalidates the whole point of the interrogation because you've now got false information and nowhere to tell what's true and what's not. Yeah. Not so much the case with psychic interrogation. You know, when you are literally pulling the secret out of someone's mind, it's very hard for them to go and make things up there just to make you stop. Make you stop, yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with not just telling the future, but also looking into the past. Um, neither one's without peril, obviously, but if you've got absolutely no leads at all, sometimes that is all you have. Yeah, psychometry, so, you know, object reading, you know, yeah. finding out what happened at a crime scene after it's occurred where there's no other pick thieves or anything else that would actually gather the data. A, a psycho can actually present... As you say, it adds additional opportunities or additional avenues for investigation, basically. Exactly, but, you know, as we've said before, it shouldn't be the first step. It should be something you do when you've got no other choice. That's it. Um, then there's the, the more radical Inquisitor. Yeah. Who understand that the Psyker can allow them to do some things that even you know, the Imperium frowns upon, but they may choose to do. And the classic example here, for example, is binding a demon host. Yes. Yeah, so you need someone with with psychic ability to actually use the the rituals required to bind that demon host form and a bound demon host is still you know a a, a horrible thing but it is less frightening than an unbound demon potentially um loose on the world as such you can you can radical inquisitors can use demon host bound demon hosts to their own ends as such Invariably, it always turns bad. Oh, yes. absolutely. <laughs> yes, it did with, yeah, once again, with, with Eisenhorn. I can't go back to Eisenhorn tonight for some reason, but yeah, with with uh, Sherabale there, you know, he so didn't didn't make Eisenhorn's life particularly pleasant, but he did, at the end of the day, help him achieve his goals. Yes. Yeah, you know, just through a massive fall. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, uh, a psycho can, can have, have those opportunities as well to use powers that the Inquisitor would choose not to or be unable to truck with as such, they have the option to use the psych of that respect. So we, we mentioned it before as well. Um, there's one part. There's a choir, There's bringing a psyker in who is already an astropath or an Imperial Guard psyker or you know, someone who's recently been released from terror as such. What about the discovered psyker in the field, the sanctioned psyker? Why would an Inquisitor suddenly provide sanctioning which normally requires years of travel to terror... And why would they do it? Um, I think this comes down to the personality of the Inquisitor and what abilities the Psyker actually has. If they're an unbound Psyker who can turn a man inside out just by looking at them, you're not going to find many sanctioned Psykers who have that sort of ability. Yep. You know, you could be waiting a very long time for someone like that to come out of terror. 
here is someone sitting right in front of you who can do that. It's convenient. That's what it comes down to. They may put in a request for a sanctioned psyker and never get one. And here are all these psychers I have to keep processing, sending back to terror, and I never get anything. Well, you know, sometimes they just take the easy route. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back to the example from our own Dark again mentioned before, where uh, one person's character became a psyker through mutation, it literally became for the group a case of better the devil you know. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, she provides a use to the group. Uh, it's not a natural thing, but... Uh, we, we know her, you know... We, if we replace her with someone else, who knows who we'll get? <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I can certainly see if you had a player character who uh, decided they wanted to take the Psycho-related advance because of something in-game they felt caused their powers to manifest. Yep. A lot of GMs might struggle with, well, hold on a second, but your Inquisitor would just shoot you or send you off to a, you know, another, another you know, off to terror for sanctioning or the other player characters might respond badly as well. Uh, I, I can certainly see that there are ways that the GM can say, no, well, the Inquisitor, you know, says, well, some point in the future, i.e. outside the scope of this campaign, you know, you'll have to re- you'll have to be sanctioned as such. But for, for now, that's it. I'm just going to write this writ, keep it with you, don't lose it, yeah. that says... Or the Inquisitor might say, I always knew you were going to awaken <laughs> as a psyker. There are all these latent telltale signs. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, he's not like my father-in-law. <laughs> nothing, nothing ever surprised him. I always knew that was going to happen. Anyway, we're off topic here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> basically, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are plenty of ways that you can manage a, a suddenly manifesting character. It's a lot better than the old... What was the, the nascent Psyker oh, from first edition Dark Heresy? That was, was terrible. That was a bit of a shocker, you know. <laughs> that was so terrible. And yes, this is definitely a step up from that. Should we also mention here Untouchables as a separate thing as well? I think we should do Untouchables as their own separate thing. That okay. should be a discussion topic for another day because they're actually quite complex. Yeah. And, yeah, there's a lot of rules about them and a lot of discussions about them as well. Yeah. Um, I, I think another thing to talk about is the fact that Inquisitors may use psychers, but they never trust them. Yes. At the end of the day, they're using the powers of the warp, you know, the font of all chaotic power in the universe, you know, what they're using is inherently corrupted. Psychers are inherently damaged goods. There's yeah. nothing you can do about that. So if they use psychic powers to tell the future, you can never trust that that is exactly what's going to happen. Same with the past. You can never trust anything that comes out of a psychic's mouth because where they get their power from is pure chaos. Yes. So remember that you know the Inquisition, they, they're going to be careful... They're always going to have an eye on any psycho, whether they're sanctioned or unsanctioned. Probably more so when they're unsanctioned. You know, they're using them because it's useful, it's expedient. But they're always willing to, you know, sacrifice that pawn if they have to. Yeah. Do, do Inquisitors really trust anyone? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I can certainly see the scene where the Inquisitor pulls the rest of the group aside and says, "Look, you know, we've got this psyche here, but." Yeah, you know, if I give you this symbol, that means everybody shoot the psyker. Yeah, <laughs> something's going exactly. down. And I think it's, it's wise to remember that the Inquisitors do trust someone, the Emperor, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's probably enough about psychers, would you say? I'd say so. All right. Let's get under closing out the show. Okie dokie. All astropaths in the choir chamber. Message incoming. 
All right, so at the end of the show, we normally talk about uh, feedback and, and comments we've received. So first off, we got a yep. new review on iTunes in the last fortnight from um, JMB Davison. So thank you very much for very kind words there. Once again, hassling us to get back onto the Roll20 game. And yep. once again, I'll say we, we're working on it. You know, it's just been, there's been a conflict of schedules, you know, partly mine, partly Mike's, partly the players, but we have got a, a plan now, at least for, the, at least for July anyway, to, to get at least one more game in. Uh, now we also had some comments after the last, uh, last show. So first off, uh, Jacob from Facebook asked us, will we ever sort of get around to wrapping back to older topics like the original Rogue Trader book, like the original um, uh, Rogue Trader first edition game as such, or even getting into things like Warhammer Fantasy in the future? And, you know, well, we spoke Age of Sigma today, so we probably ticked that box, would you say? Oh, no, that joking, that I mean. <laughs> At the end of the day... People sometimes say to me, you know, we're up to episode, what, 40, 45, 46 now? Uh, when do you come up with all the content? And I've got to say, I mean, I've got notes for episode content going probably into the 80s or 90s. Yeah. So... There, there's a lot of stuff out there which we could talk about. I mean, the game's been going for 30 years. Yeah. There's certainly plenty of stuff we can talk about. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, first and foremost, we're a, a 40k... Uh, role playing podcast. I mean, you may find that they, if they do an Age of Sigma role playing game, maybe we need to have a, <laughs> a separate podcast. Out, I don't know, but uh, yeah. um, uh, I think at some stage we will have the discussion about Zotes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Chaos Cyborgs, Chaos Cyborgs, yeah. and Zotes. Uh, and we can talk about Slan. We can talk about how oh, we can talk about how Slan work into the. The, where does Slam sit in the 40k mythos, you know? So. Oh, the old ones? Oh, <laughs> fantastic. That's it. But anyway, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, yes, we would. We are fans of these as well. I, I, I actually played fantasy before I played 40k. I, yeah, I was a, a dwarf player. You know, I had. A, I won't go into the story again, but I got burned by by Games Workshop on my fantasy army and such, so I, I went to 40k from there. Yep. But, uh, you know, I was a fantasy player first, and maybe in the future when we've got some more time, we'll talk about those things as well. But they don't have much, I guess, impact on what we talk about here, which is the 40k role-playing games and such. But, you know, if, uh, we'll always happily chat nostalgically about, you know, Warhammer Fantasy and Blood Bowl and... And Zones. And Zones, uh, yeah, yeah. And my, um, my Gene Steeler cult. Yeah, Man of War. You know, I was a big Man of War player back in the day. It's oh, certainly Man I, of War. The 10,000 point dwarf oh, fleet, you know. So. Mighty Empires. <laughs> Warhammer Quest. Oh, yeah, uh, advanced Hero Quest. Oh, hero Quest, come on. Advanced <laughs> Hero Quest, mate. I'm saying, but prior to that, you still had Hero Quest. Yeah, so. yeah, true, true, true. That's it. Um, anyway, we are way off topic here, but yes. Okay. Sorry, uh, to answer Jacob's question, you know, I'm sure in the future we'll talk more about uh, the history of these games, but not while they're still the present and future of these games. Yeah, absolutely. Rapidly, and, rapidly and making And one day available. we will answer that pressing question of why in Advanced Space Crusade did scouts go up against Tyranid warriors without helmets on? And why would there be atmosphere inside a Tyranid ship, which they could breathe without a helmet? Why would Tyranids wear helmets? Anyway, uh, so Dennis via Facebook... Um, asked us he, he spoke we, we spoke in the past about the Black Crusade module that basically ends with the Black Crusade group trying to drag an Imperial planet into the Screaming Vortex yeah and uh, Dennis's question was basically could you as a creative GM run that game for two groups or that game or any game really where you've got a group of Black Crusade players and a group of Dark Heresy players and they are functioning Against uh, each other. Yeah, adversarially, that's right. 
Um, you want to go first, Mike? You, you got Honestly, here. no, I don't think you can. Yeah. This comes down to, to we've all heard stories about GMs trying to play two groups against each other in this sort of system. It never goes well. Yeah. I've heard some absolute horror stories of this sort of thing because it becomes too confrontational and too competitive. And people are always like, oh, well, if I'd been there at the time, I would have done this. It, it becomes very difficult because you'd have to run it at the same time with either both groups in different rooms or at the same table and not metagame. Possibly you could do it with a group of people who've known each other for a long time and are all good friends, and are all going to play perfectly without any outside knowledge. Yeah. But I just don't see that happening. All right. I've got a, bit, a few bits of advice on this. First off, as a con game, I think this sort of thing can work okay. You know, And, and really, what is it about a con game that makes this work is the short, defined time period. Yeah. The biggest problem I've had with running multiple groups and we had this all the time in the Unbound yeah. you know, because the Unbound was basically and this is for those of you who are new to the show the Unbound was a, something that Mike and I were involved with it was basically a series of tabletop games of rogue trader groups so each group had basically all the rogue trader groups and their own their, all the rogue trader roles in their own ship and they were all operating in the same sp- section of space and every few months we'd do a lot live action game where all the players dressed up as their characters and came along and they were basically the various ships coming into port to discuss how their actions in a crusade fleet to, to basically re- recapture an area of Imperial space were going. Yeah. So it was a mixed tabletop group and live action group game. Uh, the problem we're running to here is that I might have... I'm, I'm, so I'm playing with group A, all right, and I cover what is six days of role-playing time as such. Okay. Now, I go and start playing with Group B. And I get through those six days, and they talk about how they react to what the first group did. But then we also sort of get four or five days beyond that into what they're doing. I go back to the first group, and they start doing things in that next group of days that would have would have had an impact on what the other side was doing. They might have done things differently because... Because, oh, well, if I'd known this was happening... Exactly. Yeah. No, you cannot truly run... Two completely synchronized games, you know, that these things happening at the same time, there's always someone who's getting the after information as such. Yeah. And especially when it comes to adversarial stuff, everyone, the right way to win any sort of conflict is to beat your opponent, okay? To, to do what you need to do before they do what they need to do. Yeah. As such, you know, and it comes down to who, often it's time based, who does, who does what when. And when you cannot guarantee the synchronization of those times, it's quite difficult. In a con game, for example, you've got, you know, say, two groups, two GMs, two separate rooms, you know, playing against one another as such. Maybe the GMs can quickly, you know, every few, you know, every 10, 20 minutes stop and just quickly confer notes on what's happening and run from there. But it can still get messy if groups try to go completely off the rails and such as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a fun concept, but as you say, the adversarial nature of it will lead... I mean, it's adversarial, which means someone's got to lose. Yes. You know, either either they... Using the example of the you know, the module we spoke about in the past, either the world gets dragged into the Imperium, into the side screen vortex, and the, the Black Crusade group wins, or the world gets kept in the Imperium and the Dark Heresy group wins. You yeah. Know? Um, I, I, I'm more keen with the idea that I was working on where I was saying, okay, well, we finished our Dark Heresy campaign. 
now we're going to start a Black Crusade campaign that picks up where the old game left off. So there is still there's still talk about the other characters and their actions, but they are now NPCs, potentially enemy NPCs now. But at the end of the day, that game is done. You know, but you can still see the ongoing effects of what happened you know, in our next campaign and such. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'd be, I would caution heavily. You know, it may, maybe if, if you're you know, a mature DM with mature players, you can make it work, but I would caution heavily this concept as such. Yeah. I think that the time period thing is a huge factor in it, like you said. I mean, it's very difficult to go and do an investigation in a bar if the other group three days before has blown that bar to pieces. Exactly. Yeah. You know... And you run the investigation in the bar, then they get their turn, and they blow that bar up before this other group got to go to the bar. I mean, it, it creates too many paradoxes. That's it. it really does. <laughs> All right, so that's it for our, our listener questions for, for this show. Yep. Uh, if you do want to contact us with a question, a comment, whatever it might be, there are many ways to do so. Uh, our website is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus sign Podcast. Uh, we tweet through at Podcast. Our email address is show at grimdartpodcast.com. We've got a voicemail link on our website on the right-hand side. We'll see send voicemail. We'll play it on the show and answer your question. And don't forget also our drive-through RPG affiliate link on the left-hand side of our page. You can buy your PDF books there and support the show at the same time. Yeah. Episode 47 is coming up. Normally, this will be a rogue trader episode uh, after uh, following Dark Heresy. Uh, but that being said, I'll be at Gen Con. I plan to try and record a show at Gen Con. I'm yep. not sure who with yet. I will probably grab some Porsche Mo off the street and say, you, you're my co-host for today. Uh, or I might be a bit more organized, I'm not sure. But um, you know, we'll be talking all about what's happening at Gen Con. Hopefully there's announcements. Maybe we might see some more for Road Trader. I don't know. Maybe we'll see some more for Dark Heresy. Maybe we'll see something fantasy. I'm not sure, but we'll find out. Presumably we're talking about some Road Trader anyway because it's a Road Trader show so we'll probably cover off the Crute this is the uh, the second Xenos race now we've covered the Orc uh, but anything else discussion wise review wise let's just wait and see what, what comes out at Gen Con okay uh, so Mike I'm sorry I'll miss you for an episode no that's okay will you actually listen to it after the fact maybe <laughs> and uh, I but, cannot guarantee these things <laughs> that's it but well, I'll be back again after that for our next uh, uh, Death Watch episode as well so okay Uh, Thanks for joining us tonight. Hope you enjoyed the show. And we look forward to chatting to you again from Gen Con. Okay. Take care. Thanks very much, guys. This podcast is not endorsed by or at the end with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibios Media Kelly. Music.mibio.com.